up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And just like that, the Watching Comics podcast is back. My name is Mitch, my co-host is Jake, and we are here to bring you your most trusted opinions and takes on the intersection of comic book entertainment, hitting your big and small screens, because in the 21st century, watching comics is literally a thing. It's an exciting time to be alive, and even more exciting now that we're in week number 42, it feels like, of being hunkered down into the quarantine, washing our hands multiple (laughs) times a day, and wearing our masks in order to stay safe. Jake, how are you and your family faring in this uh, next week of the quarantine lifestyle? We're doing pretty well. And I, I feel this, like, I'm, I'm going to comment on, there's a new social pressure. And the social pressure is, I keep asking people that exact question, how are you doing? And the pressure is to come up with an original answer at a time where, by definition, nothing new is happening. And <laughs> it's, it's, I am both constantly an abnormal, trying to find, it's both an abnormal time with nothing new happening at the same time. Yeah. And that's just, so like, I am constantly trying to come up with creative new ways to say, I'm good. Are you just and telling so, people <laughs> about the cool stuff you're building in Minecraft and animal crossing? Like, is that what you're doing these days? Kind of. I, you know, I mean, listen, and I, I helped my whole family. I was like, guys, this is the week. Get your turnips in Animal Crossing. We're going to hit it big. And we did. So, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's pretty much it. Animal Crossing, Minecraft, you just nailed like half my, half my time these days. So reading Minecraft and Animal Crossing and then some food probably thrown in there and then a little bit of, uh, you know, fun parenting, screenless. And, and that's, that's probably it, right? Uh, I do have to stop and comment on... The proudest moment of my parenting life to this point. Um, my son and I are watching. It is, but it's quite an event. My son and I have been watching Spectacular Spider-Man. And uh, season two, episode one, introduces Mysterio. Mm. And just like in Homecoming, Spidey beats Mysterio by closing his eyes so he's not distracted by the things he sees. Let's his spider sense take over. So my son today in our home office where I'm sitting right now was doing his Taekwondo class via Zoom. And the instructor likes to uh, say right hand and then throw his left hand around and see who's paying attention. And so my son looked at me and said, I'm going to defeat him like Spider-Man defeated Mysterio. And he closed his eyes and turned around and nailed it. And... So, there it is. Okay, so two things. One, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. He just <laughs> flat out right there. Like, it. that's it. Two, um, is it too early to say that your son is a superhero? Or at, at best, or at worst, a vigilante, right? Like, from this point on, he's at worst a vigilante. At best, he's superhuman. Yeah, I think that's the direction we're headed. I mean, that's what I'm... I, I'm not going to lie, you know, if we get to a point where I feel like his development has gone as far as it can without a tragedy, I'll probably start walking down some scary alleys here and there just to, just to help things along. Yeah. Dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. (laughs) It's it's the best thing you could do for the sake of your son's trajectory as a hero and a character of pop culture. You owe it to him that much. It's, It's your role as the father, really. And I appreciate you being willing to make that sacrifice for the greater good, because clearly your son is destined for great things. And I am impressed. Yeah, well, there we go. So, you know, coolest, coolest guy I know right there, five years old. I already am not nearly as awesome as him. I know, right? It's like you, you peaked way too early in your life and he's already surpassing you anyway. That's, that's, (laughs) (laughs) that's, that's that's the lesson here. (laughs) Yeah. So that's how things are going for me. We're referencing Spider-Man during Taekwondo. Um, I think those two things go together like lamb and tuna fish. It's a perfect pair. So Jake, I am excited about this particular episode. One, because in our production meeting that we were preparing for this episode a whole 24 hours ago, you you suggested this particular idea, and I thought it was a good one. And then when I started working on my list, I got really excited. And I'm going to go <laughs> ahead and I'm going to say it right now. This might be the best 
prepared list of fan casting I have put together for an episode we've done so far in these two years. So um, I, I don't know what how your list stands up or not, but I'm excited. And I'm hoping that everyone else that listens to this is as impressed with my choices as I am because I think I nailed it. So I don't know. There's, there's the humble pie for the week there, everybody. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I'm so like, I'm excited to hear your list now and not that I wasn't, but now I'm extra excited. Um, I feel good about mine. I think it's good. I think that, I think I'm going to get um, internet yelled at, or at least uh, because the things that I'm going to ask for, both of them kind of already exist. In and internet so, yelled at as though that isn't just another day that ends in Y. That's a, right. Yeah. So um, if you're going to yeah. at Jake, how about be original and, you know, like be happy instead of angry, <laughs> then he'd be impressed. Uh, I'm going to tweet you tomorrow that just says, Hey Jake, I like your face or Hey Jake, that's, that's a great take. Nicely done. I appreciate, you know, and I appreciate the positivity, but I also want everyone to know, like, if you got to dump some crap on somebody, go for me because A, I'm pretty invulnerable as it is. And B, also, I don't check my Twitter often enough to be that hurt by it. So I'm good. By the time you get it, it will have died down and we will have moved on to another Zack Snyder thing anyway. And (laughs) I mean, I don't know if anybody that's listening to this episode is going to come after you on Twitter after listening to the first five minutes of this. They know that your son is a superhero. Like Darn right. You're going to make yourself the first suspect in the investigation. So <laughs> it's like you come at me, folks. My five year old <laughs> to take care of this. Yeah, I, I'm excited to hear your stuff. Do you want to so do we want to introduce like we don't have a clever name for this? I think is my greatest frustration is that there's nothing there's nothing snappy that alliterates or anything like that or so I I described it as shut up and give it to me but not shut up and give it to me which and I think which I think is probably more clever than me saying um this is who we want to do something yeah yeah I I think the concept was to just sort of take and run with um you know this is a we want to take not necessarily what are the comics we want to see adapted, but rather what are some creators that we want to see enter this sphere in a very specific way and what are some ideas that we have for it. And honestly, it kind of is perfect for the Twitter sphere anyway because so much of, of comics and um, geek geekery Twitter, and I, and I, and I mean that, uh, use that term with, with the utmost respect because we are definitely geeks. I, I think that's perfect for that particular arena because that's so much of what we see right now is the concept of like, how cool would it be if this person did this or choose between these few people to do this one thing and, and all that sort of stuff. Because it's fun to suppose where our fandom can take us from here and infusing some of our favorite creatives in those arenas, whether it makes sense or not. Like the two that I have on my list tonight, I'm particularly excited about. You'll, you'll hear why in a minute, but like, I don't think they're going to be anybody's top choices as far as the studio is concerned either. This is just, Hey, you're asking co-host Mitch exactly what he would love to see in the comic book movie sphere. So he's going to pick his, his favorite geek stuff and it's going to be great for five minutes. So, but at the end of the day, what we're doing here is we're trying to be proponents of healthy fandom, fun fandom, and enjoyable creative conversation. And we want to be here to say that, like, how cool would it be if this creative individual got their hands on a property of some kind? That's really all we're doing. And it gives us a reason to turn on some microphones while we're ranting about some stuff. I like it. That's such a good way of saying that. Well done. Mm, thank you. All right. I've done my part. Jake, take it away. Here we go. Okay, so for my bull crap tonight, uh, no, I tonight with so fireside chats and conspiracy theories with Jake Owens, we're going to bring you. <laughs> yeah, I as soon as we finished recording last week, I went upstairs and explained our conversation to Elise, and she goes, "Well, you are an idiot. That's why I would call you that." And, and mm. so she absolutely is not <laughs> on on my bandwagon with the uh, the Kennedy thing can absolutely like hear her saying in that perfect dry way well you are an idiot <laughs> like it's just yeah it's so perfect yep. that's why you two are such a good pair <laughs> yeah it's the same thing as twitter you know i can take it so <laughs> that's um, why you don't check your twitter that often because you've got real life twitter and a superhero at home you're not bored enough to have to go to the internet for it that's exactly it yeah man um, we figured out so much about your life in a very short period did. of time 
Well, and she's just always got something witty to say. And so I don't really need to go to everybody else for however many characters of witty they can throw out because I got it here. So, so true. Um, so true. Okay, so let's, no, let's, so let's this do off. it this way. Yeah, let's go me first because I think yours already sounds really good and I want to finish strong. So <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait to disappoint everybody when I just talk <laughs> for 15 minutes about James Cameron. It's going to be great. <laughs> well, I... <laughs> I, I said um, my list was not quite complete on time and Mitch and I were talking about it. And I did say, I was like, look, if I can't put this thing together, then I am going to just fake it like I really mean Tim Allen as Mr. Fantastic and see how far I can run with that. Okay, so, so here, here um, it is. Here's the, know, pitch. Here's the pitch. Tim Allen as Mr. <laughs> Fantastic with James Cameron directing and um, Michael Bay as co-director and special effects producer. Who says no? Yeah, I think I mean, take my money. Welcome back to the theaters. I think yeah. that's the right project to reopen. <laughs> I believe the direct quote from any Hollywood exec would be green light that shit. <laughs> They've got a rubber stamp that says exactly that. They, <laughs> that's um, the Michael Bay rubber stamp. He walks in and he's like, I want to make another movie. And I'm like, okay, cool. Say. They just stamp it without even looking at the script treatment. It's the Michael Bay stamp. <laughs> um, okay. So I'm going to I'm going to take this and run with it. And like I said, both of the things that I'm going to ask for tonight sort of kind of exist, but I want to look at them differently. So okay, before, um, and, and I see that because got... before we go any farther, I feel compelled to say, with great power comes great responsibility. And Jake, we have time and again proven on this podcast that you have prophetic powers. So please, that's true. Please tread carefully, Jake, because if, if you're about to give us a God awful idea, it might just happen. I mean, let's be honest. I'm always about to give a God awful idea. The question is, <laughs> can you stop that record button in time to edit it and make us look good? So, um, uh, the one I'm going to start with is the one that it, it kind of got me thinking about it. It got me in some trouble, uh, not trouble. It just, it got me internet yelled at like a year ago because I suggested something like this and a few people were just like, dummy, that's already out there. And I'm like, I, I know, but I mean like in a different capacity. So for me, um, I, I, there's a lot of thought going into X-Men and what X-Men is going to look like in the Marvel universe. Jake, Jake, um, we already have like 25 X-Men movies. I know, right. So what do we need Gosh, another one for? Geez. There it is. Yeah. Come on, idiot. No, I, um. Okay. Tim Allen, Mr. Fantastic. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Done. We're pulling the plug on this thing. <laughs> um, no, I, I want to, the creator that I want to see and not so much do an X-Men movie, but I want to see sort of like do some of the movies, but I want to see this person kind of have a Russo brothers role in the X-Men universe. And I still want it to be part of the MCU, but I think anyone who's read the comics, I don't know, maybe there's some outliers, but most people seem to agree that the X-Men are at their best when they're sort of part of the MCU, but also just a little bit isolated. Um, you know, not like they still interact with it, but they also have a lot of their own adventures and then cross over in big moments. And so I, I think I want to see the MCU go that route and I want to see them do not just here's the X-Men movie, but pick out two or three X-Men properties that you can really dive into to flesh out what it means to be a mutant, what that looks like in the MCU, how it's impacting people. And the, the person that I would like to see sort of godfather that whole thing and make sure that it's tying in well with the MCU while maintaining its own identity is Noah Hawley, who created Fargo, the TV show, and created Legion, the TV show, which is the one that got me yelled at, is people were like, Noah Hawley already does an X-Men thing. And I'm like, no, I know that. <laughs> um, and I think that I, it, Noah Hawley, we've talked about him a little bit before, because he was, uh, gosh, was he the one that was attached to a Doctor Doom movie for a while? And there's still some talk about it. And I still really like that idea. Um, but the way, I, this is really though my official plug for, I would like to see him run with X-Men because on Fargo, what we see is that this guy can really manage a large cast while still having focal characters and while still having 
a running consistent theme and tying things in without making them all like every season of Fargo is a self-contained story, but it also clearly hinges on the rest of the stories in that universe. And what I see is a guy who can keep a lot of plates spinning at once without losing quality. And I think that to my mind, his ability to do very human drama with, and to put very, regular characters and that's sort of what Fargo's about right like the movie originally this is what everyone's always praised it for and when they said Fargo TV show I was just like that's stupid no one wants to see a Fargo TV show we already have the movie but then when I watched it I was like oh my gosh this is so good and it does such a good job of that idea of taking really regular everyday characters and dropping them in with insane situations absolutely abhorrent outrageous and I think that's what would really make the X-Men movie sing in a different way than they have in the past is those the older films really hinge on spectacle and I mean that in a good way a lot of times the spectacle is excellent um, sometimes the spectacle involves Phoenix and I think that <laughs> two times it Noah Hawley yeah <laughs> I think Noah Hawley is a creator that could, instead of instead of hinging the whole thing on spectacle, and that's going to be there because it's a superhero film, but he would hinge the thing on the characters and on the humanity of these characters that have to have that inherent humanity or the whole story falls apart because it's it's supposed to be about humans that are not being treated as humans and so I, I that's who i would love to see really get their hands on the x-men franchise M maybe just let him go crazy with it you know say how many movies do you want to do how many different properties do you want to do how do you see it working in with the mcu and just let the guy run and see what he comes up with that's a really interesting choice and it's it's both I think it's both a, a like overt choice, but like a subversively overt choice. I don't know if Noah Hawley is going to be on the top of a lot of people's lists, but as soon as that name is thrown out there, you just instantly go, yeah, that's a solid guy. Let's do it. I trust his creative vision. Um, one thing that I find really interesting and I think promising to this potential thing that you're pitching here is um, I think part of what makes Fargo work so well is that um, the writing of that show, the dialogue specifically, is, is lyrical in a, in a sense that is both familiar but still unique enough to a point where it feels like a distinct thing. Like it feels like something slightly different than just the norm, but because it's still got that everyman tone, it, it still feels very lived in. And so he kind of has that juxtaposition figured out really well. And it just, it fits so well in, in with the chops and talent of really, um, really big people and, and because you you think like Martin Freeman and um, Kirsten Dunst and Patrick Wilson and those folks have delivered some of their best acting performances in their career on that show. And I think one of the common things is the lyrical quality of the writing through the nuanced characterization that he's put on the page. And that is where X-Men eats, if I may say like, there's an awful lot about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the main character and the main characters in in the Marvel comic book run that that are great and 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 some of them have strong character traits some have good moments and and a lot of them are entertaining but I don't know if I dare to say that the X Men are probably the most driven by personal turmoil and personal characterization and, and nuance and evolution right so I feel like his pen matches up really well with the arena of bringing the humanity and mutant struggle and characterization of the X-Men to life at the same time. Like, I think that could be really where the, those movies shine is how he's able to put those characters down on paper. Um, is it, clearly you're sold on this. So, so he, he's definitely a much more gifted writer than he is experienced director. So do, do you envision him writing this stuff and then them bringing someone else in to direct the properties? Or are you envisioning him doing the writing and directing? Like what, how far are you going with this idea here? 
I think I envision him more in a writing role, although I'm not opposed to the idea of him directing. Um, I just, I, I think you nailed it with there's a lack of experience where, I mean, I'm looking at his credits right now and he's got the untitled Star Trek sequel will be his fourth directing gig. Mm -hmm. And that counts two television shows that he wrote for. Um, and so I think that I, I have no reason to think that he'd be a bad director. I just don't have a body of evidence to prove that case. What I really think you nailed really elegantly there is the idea of like his, his pen and the lyrical quality to his writing is really what I think is needed in these movies. And I, and I think that that's, I think that's really well said. And so, yeah, I'll go with that. I, I think, I don't, I don't hate the idea of him directing, but I don't need it. What I need is him writing. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, man, I mean, there are so many talented people in the world of movie making that it, it, it's almost impossible to try to find the most perfect option for a particular property. And it's really, really bold to say, we're going to go X-Men again. And we're going to go do it this way. Um, obviously, Twitter has different ideas for you, Jake. And, and for whatever that may be, that's the reality. But it does feel right, though. Like, doesn't it? Like, the, the Noah Hawley writing for the narrative arc of, of, a, of an X-Men run feels like a slam dunk. It just does. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it, I would be pretty – if this got announced tomorrow – it would shoot to the top of my most anticipated films, whatever it looked like, whether it was a few pick, a few movies like I suggested or just one movie or whatever, it, it would immediately shoot to the top of my most anticipated projects. Mm. Yes, man. Yeah. I think that would be really interesting and, and would give us a chance to watch the Brian Singerness off of the, the X yeah. you know, just like, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yep okay well w good for you for staying on brand i mean i i actually probably would maybe ask to see if you're okay if you didn't want to bring an x-men property into this space so well done you didn't disappoint <laughs> i do what i can <laughs> so trusted co-host i knew i could count on you um i'm gonna jump into my list if you don't mind please and, um i'm gonna I, I'm going to go uh, a little film nerd here. And, okay, so I have two parts to this first pick. One part I know for a fact I have talked about in some capacity on one of our Shut Up and Give It To Me's. It may have been the first one. I'm going to bring it back. And I know I have mentioned this creative individual on multiple occasions, kind of anecdotally, but I don't know if I've given myself the space to really riff for a couple of minutes on just how much of a season ticket holder I am of this person and how much of a perfect fit I think this person could potentially be for the comic book arena, as well as one specific property. Although if it was just announced that this person was doing something comic book related, I really wouldn't care what it was, but catalog this under things that are probably never going to happen. And I say that <laughs> because this director, she, um, she has a very unique style. It is very unsettling for what I believe to be all the right reasons. She brings out some of the best performances in her leading actors and actresses, but um, she doesn't get scripts greenlit very often. Um, her projects are very few and far between. And when she does, they're very much of the prestige indie persuasion. So her, she's probably not going to be signing on the dotted line to do the next big DC property, but... If, uh, if she did get a comic book movie, holy crap, it, it, it better be something of the dark persuasion and it better be um, one that allows her to really go for the hard R rating. But I, I want to give the keys of a indie type of comic to Lynn Ramsey. Are you familiar with Lynn Ramsey? No, but I am furiously typing in NDB as we speak. Okay. IMDB as we speak. Good deal. Lynn Ramsey is, I don't know, I, I want to say she's one of my 
you know, like top seven, top five favorite directors, but she also doesn't have a very long filmography because she just doesn't get projects greenlit very often. As I said before, her style is very distinct and um, it has a different kind of, of fandom. And also she's a woman in Hollywood. And those two things together make it really difficult for her to find the right kind of projects that she wants to pursue. But um, this is not hyperbole. In from 2010 to 2020, she made two of the 25 best movies of the decade. Full stop. With We Need to Talk About Kevin, which was anchored by Tilda Swinton and uh, John C. Riley, and then You Were Never Really Here, which was anchored by Joaquin Phoenix, are two of the most masterful and emotionally manipulative and deeply unsetting character studies I've ever seen and every bit in the pantheon of best movies, for sure best prestige indie films made of the last 10 years. And she's got a knack for vivid imagery. She knows how to frame things that are artistic, but bold, but not paint by numbers. She knows how to infuse symbolism with color. And she, Jake, if you ever watched either one of these movies, she is one of the best I've ever seen of showing and not telling. Her, her films have as minimal dialogue as you possibly could have. And yet I have some of the most visceral emotional responses that you can get from films just because of the way she knows how to visually storytell. Like there's this bit and you were never really here where um, Joaquin Phoenix plays a depressed uh, mercenary who is suffering from PTSD and can't decide if he wants to kill himself or if he wants to continue to try to help people. And there's a scene where he's trying to save a little girl and the whole thing is told through him rescuing her from this horrible place. And he's destroying all these people that have kidnapped her with a ball peen hammer. But the whole thing is shown through silence through a black and white security camera footage. And it's one of the most beautifully choreographed and impeccably shot action sequences I've ever seen. And it's deeply emotional because of the absence of everything else. And, um, that's a test case example to what she can do with a palette and what she can bring out of great actors and actresses. Tilda Swinton was nominated for a Golden Globe for We Need to Talk About Kevin, which may be one of the 21st century's most masterpiece horror films. And Joaquin Phoenix, I would say that movie, You Were Never Really Here, was maybe his second best performance of the decade behind The Master. So she knows how to craft impeccable performances from top tier talent doing these unique works. And I'm going to bring this one back, Jake. I want to give her the nail biter project. Ooh. Okay. So I know, I know, I believe it was in our first shut up and give it to me. I talked about how I would love to see nail biter, get some sort of treatment, a movie or a mini series or something, but I, I don't want to necessarily paint Lynn Ramsey into a box, but if she's going to be doing a comic book, property she's not going to be doing spandex and capes she's not going to be sure. she's not going to be doing extended universes or universi whatever that is and um <laughs> she she's going to be doing something of the pulp noir or bloody thriller persuasion that's what she's interested in those are the movies she makes and she's going to want to work with a specific type of actor or actress helming those things and that that's right in the niche but if there's something along those lines that would be a different title that then i'd be up for it because as i said before lynn ramsey doing an underbelly type of comic book property is maybe my version of heaven at least as far as cinematically is concerned so i just got done talking a long time about why i'm a season ticket subscriber of the lynn ramsey fan club do you have any thoughts to help make sense of my gushing at all no, I'm I'm really intrigued. I've never seen any of her films, but I've heard of the two that you mentioned. Um, I've, I've heard a lot of good about her. I don't have a lot to add as far as, you know, uh, without having seen any of her stuff, it just wouldn't be fair for me to evaluate. What I can say is with what you're describing, with what I'm reading, just glancing at stuff here, um, this seems like a really solid fit with uh, Nailbiter. 
And Just, I can't think man. of many things that I would be more excited for than this. Like Lynn Ramsey deserves more work. And if we're going to bring her into the geek arena, this is the way to do it. And she would find a way to make it a visceral and immersive experience and turn the whole thing on its head. Um, you were never really here. I would say is, is probably the one you should start with. It's a little bit more approachable from, from a stereotypical standpoint, even with her own unique style. And I believe it's on prime to stream for free. Oh, right on. And so, but, um, and, and then when you see you were never really here and realize that it came out one year before Joker with the same leading actor dealing with the same issues, you'll understand why I said when we were riffing with Ashley on that episode of the podcast, I was like, we already had this movie and it was a good one. So I don't know why we had to go and make a bad version of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one right there. And it's, it's utterly incredible. And it, it, Joaquin Phoenix is just really, really good in everything he does. But um, I think that one will be a perfect calling card for why, for explaining why I made the choice that I made. Um, we Need to Talk About Kevin is definitely one you need to watch when you're in the right frame of mind because that movie will mess you up. But it is, <laughs> it, it is really, really good as well. And she's an impeccable storyteller and she paints um, unkempt, messy masterpieces with unwielding sharp precision. Give her nail biter, give me front row tickets, and I am there all the way. Well, and what you're describing to me sounds like the sort of situation where, because nail biter, there's not a lot I would change about it, if anything. But what you're talking about to me is the kind of situation where somebody would take something that exists on its own as a great thing and not elevate it necessarily but make it their own and create their own interpretation on it that exists parallel to the original um and that's really to me the pinnacle of a comic book adaptation is to take something that we already know we already understand we don't need to make it better or we just want to see a new take on it and to give us that new lens in a different medium that creates a wholly different but still related piece of art. And what you're describing to me sounds like the right kind of fit to get one of those transcendent moments. You know, like, like and, I, and I, know I, I, I know I need a new comparison for great things, but it sounds like Dark Knight kind of thing to me. You know, like that's my example of taking, we all understood Batman. We all knew what was going on with him and the Joker, but, but the Dark Knight put a new spin on it or gave us a new lens at least that, created a wholly new piece of art and that's what man i'm i, I want to see this now like i really want this to exist right like the more i think about it i i know i'm so so biased about this one because i'm such a fan but i'm like th this is what i want if you were to ask me what is the number one thing i want in the comic book entertainment arena i want lynn ramsey to give us nail biter that's it period one number one on the top of the list that's that's it and um I, I definitely am interested in hearing your thoughts if you get a chance to watch You Were Never Really Here, um, especially in light of our takes on Joker. I really think that that will be an interesting conversation. But yeah, man, I think th this one feels like a home run to me. So I'm putting it out there. I'm speaking it into the universe because that's what I want. So Lynn, if you're listening, um, you know at least one person's going to go see this with a smile on their face. <laughs> okay, so... I'm, I'm going to take this and thoroughly disappoint with what I feel is both a really predictable pick, but also just one I have to make. Um, this is actually, when I had the idea that became this episode, this was the thought that I had in my head that then grew into, I bet we could make an episode around that somehow. Um, so mine is one of my favorite, favorite performers. It's not even, it's not a writer, director, or anything like that. Like there's an actor I want to see. And he's, he's already been in some comic book stuff. I get it. But guys, we don't have enough Doug Jones in our life. And oh, yay. He is, <laughs> oh, seriously, he is such a delightful human being. Right? I mean, impeccably talented for what he does and the, that unique it, corner of craftsmanship that he does for his, um, literally chameleon like characters and heavy makeup and body amorphization but he's just so stinking delightful um fun fact if i can name drop i am Please. actually uh connected to him on linkedin and i love watching huh. it 
yeah, he accepted my, my uh, follow request, which was very nice of him. And he, he posts the most delightful things about the people he's working with and relishes in the projects that he's a part of. And he just seems like a really, really good guy. So, so that's just, it is like Doug Jones. And I don't mean this to be derogatory to anyone else, but do you remember Andy Serkis right after Gollum really got this reputation as the guy you went to when you needed a monster or an inhuman character. And it was sort of deserved, right? Because Gollum is an amazing performance and Andy Serkis is a great performer and I'm, I'm an Andy Serkis fan. But every time anyone is like, well, you got a monster, you need Andy Serkis. In my head, I'm like, yeah, I guess if Doug Jones is busy. And I really like Andy Serkis. So please, Andy, I know you're listening. This is not a shot at you, right? It's just, I, I keep, I'm constantly like. Hashtag <laughs> Team Andy, but we're also hashtag Team Doug too. Yeah, like it's, it's like, that's a great person to be second best to Andy so come on like but Doug Jones he's so anyone who doesn't know who he is odds are really good you've seen him act you've just never seen his face and Doug Jones has just made a career out of playing aliens monsters creatures inhuman things heavy and, prosthetics heavy and makeup. anything Guillermo del Toro draws on a notepad yeah. <laughs> Whatever nightmare wakes Guillermo up this week. Um, I have to put and, Doug in this. <laughs> right? Where could I put his eyeballs in this one? Um, and so, <laughs> It's funny because it's true. Uh, and we, we love GDT on this podcast. If you're a returning listener, you know how much we love GDT. Oh, but yeah, it's also yeah. true. If, if Doug Jones is in a GDT project, he's going to be in heavy prosthetics and, and practical effect makeup and costuming. And his eyes will be in a different spot every time <laughs> it's so he was the um he was several characters i believe in pan's labyrinth um to go with the gdt thing he was abe sapien in hellboy and then he i think he did a couple of other smaller roles in the hellboy movies just they're like hey doug could you put this on for an hour um he was the the creature in the shape of water um he he just he's on the know, new the star trek series is which i've only seen one episode of um i'm not a trekkie so i have he, no dog in that fight but. i i'm a i'm kind i was a late to the party trekkie i picked it up in adulthood so i You're enjoy Trek-ish. it yeah yeah i'm like yeah i i always tell people it's like i had to convert in for marriage my father-in-law is a big fan um he was you know he was um what is the name of the, the guy with his lips sewn shut and hocus pocus? Billy something? Yeah, that guy. I yeah, remember that. He, he's, that dude is like one of his older roles. He was like a scarier um, version of Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> a little bit. Um, so Doug Jones, he's just, he's this really brilliantly talented person who performs with everything he has. He doesn't just, and, and I know that, you know, performing it. is more than this. And Mitch, you're in. You, you were right. You were right. Billy Butcherson. Billy Butcherson. I wouldn't say Billy Bones, but um, Doug, I, Mitch, you're the real actor. So this isn't a revelation to you like it is to me, but, but acting is more than just knowing your lines and saying them well. You act with everything around you from what I understand. And, and Doug, he, he uses everything, his whole body. The prosthetics themselves become part of the performance. And that's why he's such so good at it and so i say all this to say here's the thing i know we got a swamp thing show and and by all accounts i i didn't watch it because i didn't get dc universe before they started rethinking it Uh, from all accounts it was good but if i could see doug jones bring to life the version of swamp thing written by the man himself alan moore our favorite wizard Mm, then The, the the wizard, the tr- as far as I'm concerned, the wizard, and the the to see Doug Jones and and I want to see prosthetics, I want to see makeup, I want practical effects every time it's possible, and see Doug Jones bring the tragedy of that character to life because spoilers for a 35 year old comic. Pretty early in the run, Swamp Thing, who has always we always believed was 
Dr. Alec Holland, a scientist that fell into a swamp with chemicals and became the Swamp Thing, we learn that Alec Holland died in that incident and Swamp Thing is a mass of vegetation that was brought to life by the chemicals that just assumes that it's Alec Holland and has a few of his memories. And it's watching this, this being that has thought he was one thing find out that he's not even he's not even the species he thinks he is and watching him process that grief over the course of the comic and watching him act it out and define who he is if he's not who he thought i just think doug jones could do so much credit to what is such a beautifully tragic story and I really want to see that. And so I understand I'm asking for something that kind of already exists, done by somebody who's kind of already done a few comic book things. I understand this is a lazy pick, but I just want to see it so badly. I feel like Swamp Thing is in the same, it's in the same pool as Doctor Doom. It just feels wrong to not yet have the right screen iteration of that character because yeah. the pathway to doing it right is so clear. And if they did do it right, it would be wonderful and everybody would love it. And it would be top tier comic book something. I think everyone would agree on that. And it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know why they can't get it right. And I don't know why they're not just green lighting the right way to do it. And I, I don't know. I'm not saying that the Doug Jones, Alan Moore angle is the only way to go, but I am telling you that if that was the way that they did go and do it, especially with someone like GDT helming the project, then I have a hard time believing it would suck. Like it would, it would be a phenomenal piece. I really do think that. And so it's like, yeah, it's overt. Yeah, it's lazy, but it's like, don't you want to see it? Like listeners, I know you do. Like, don't you want this? Like, this is just as important as figuring out what the heck are we gonna do with Doctor Doom on screen? Because they, they tried twice and it sucked. Swamp Things had like three three chances and and they can't get it right yet. This is a pathway to greatness. I don't know why we wouldn't want it. And if it technically breaks the rules that we've put on this superfluous episode, then so be it. Doug Jones donning the Swamp Thing regalia feels like something we should have in our orbit, does it not? Yeah, and I and I think that for me, picking it, I almost felt bad putting it on my list, and I went through a few different possible things to put in that spot, but I just coming kept coming back to, but yeah, I want to see that so badly. Yeah, but I I really would go see. I'd pay money for this. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like, and 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 is that not? the um the crux of the whole thing right it's like if what would be the thing that got you the most giddy non-spider-man related about going to the movie theater it would be this <laughs> yeah i'd man i'd be psyched so there it is doug jones as the swamp thing oh man dude that is such a good pick and you are staying so on brand and i appreciate you for it <laughs> so um listeners to quick no surprises out of me tonight <laughs> so yeah we're gonna give a quick recap jake is still saying he likes more x-men and we want that swamp thing thing we've been demanding for two years so there there you go everybody but he's not wrong okay so we're gonna close out with a left turn here yes I'm probably not the only, the first person to make this suggestion, but I am the first person to make the suggestion on this podcast. So there's that. Um, but I don't know. I was thinking, what do I want to see at the movie theater or on my Netflix series or whatever? What do I want to see in the comic book arena? What would be entertaining, but also what would be something refreshing and new and eye-catching? Because you know me, I'm all about... Um, I'm all about impact, visualization, and innovation as far as storytelling and, and, and keeping variety going. So I, I'm not, I don't necessarily have a, prod, a, a, a property that I want to give to these folks. I just know that I want them to do a comic book thing before it's all said and done. Now they kind of have flirted with the concept once before earlier in their careers, but I don't know, like, 
maybe I'm being lazy by not, tr by not trying to flesh this out very much. But when I, when I say their names, I think you'll totally understand when I say, I'm not really sure what the project needs to be. I just know that if I want something new, if I want something supremely entertaining, incredibly irreverent and high quality all at the same time with unique vision and sharp writing, then this is what I want for the comic book arena because it would bring all kinds of, um, um, amazingness and messiness to an arena that need that would need a little bit of variety, breathe life into it. So Jake, here's what I propose. I propose that we give Matt Stone and Trey Parker their very own comic book movie to do whatever the heck they want. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. I, 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 if they want to go, the animated route, I'm cool with that. If they want to do another puppet movie, sign me up. If they want to make it live action and they, you give them the $250 million budget and they give you all the amazing effects of the Avengers, but they Matt Stone and they Trey Parkify the screenplay, that's what I want. I don't care what it is. I just want those two guys to give me their genius in the arena of superheroes or vigilanteism or dark comedyism within that arena or or an indie comic or something i want them to have a property they can and they can do what they want with it they've given us a musical it's phenomenal they've given us a south park movie in team america they're phenomenal the south park show speaks for itself those guys know exactly what to do for the arenas of which they work in and they've proven that they can do it at the highest levels with their unique sense of grotesque alienation um with brilliant comedy and i don't know like it gets me excited to think like I could be going to a movie theater and seeing a familiar comic book property being done in front of me by Matt Stone and Trey Parker. Like that's like Deadpool on steroids. I want that. How do you feel about that choice? I, I love it. I am reeling trying to figure out who or what, what property they need. Like uh, this is, you've kind of given me an unsolvable riddle and now it's going to become an obsession of mine and you need to expect a text message. It might be in a year, but it will be at like 4 a.m. as I wake up from a fever dream. <laughs> and it's going to be and just, I'm, I'm going to reach over caps, like, and it's going to be saying, this is it. This is it. Matt Stone, Trey Parker, they need to do this. Yes, I'm absolutely going to. Ah, we need to do a man thing. Ah, that's exactly what it needs to be. Just, just, just rip off Swamp Thing, but do a man thing, even though he came first and just acknowledge it. Put it out there. Like, so I'm just going to lose it. <laughs> And I might even call, like I might wake you up for a phone call. I, the thing is, is your this listeners, the thing is, he's not joking. This is exactly how it's going to go down. Um, this is what we call production meetings. <laughs> this is how the podcast was born. Um, but the, the, the thing is, is I, I will draw one line in the sand. I don't think maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't want to paint um, Matt Stone and Trey Parker too much into a box, but I don't know if, how you would feel about this. I don't think I want them to do a subversive comedic run on something that's not normally meant for that. Like, I don't want them to do the South Park version of Iron Man. You know what I'm saying? Sure. I don't want them to do the Book of Mormon version of Superman. What I want them to do is I want them to take a property that was already meant to fit in that um, unkempt, edgy, or raunchy, or just darkly comedic arena. Like that's, that's what I want. I want them to take something that was meant for that and to take it from the page and to visualize it in a into the screen in that unique way that only they can. Can I... I have to, can I pitch one to you real quickly? Let Do me it. make sure that I'm getting my facts straight on this one. You go to the Wikipedia. Um, they know things. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a, there was a, okay. I had to get the creators correctly. There was a, an X-Men limited series about three, four five years ago called The Worst X-Man Ever uh, by Max Bemis and Michael Walsh about a kid who finds out that uh, he's an X-Man, or he's a mutant, and he joins the X-Men. But as I recall, his power is that he can blow up. But <laughs> because he blows up, he can only do it once ever, and then he's going to be dead. 
And so all the covers are... So he's, he's literally the most dangerous superhero ever, and he, he has to bide his time. Yeah, and like, uh, I, all the covers are like all the X-Men flying into action, and then there's this little ginger kid kind of cringing at the front, like, oh God, no! And um, So this, I, this is what we've been building up to with Kenny, is what you're saying. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, I think that was his power. I, I don't want to mess this up. So if I'm getting that wrong, please feel free to call me out on it and let me know. But, um, but of course, I, of course we need to infuse them into the X-Men extended universe. That makes sense. There we go. So that's what I'm saying. Like, let's bring it all full circle and let's just grab the X-Men idea and run with it with the South Park guys. But the, there it the, is. The, yeah. He can blow up once. He's a suicide bomber. Yeah. <laughs> That seems right up their alley. I mean, but the thing is, is like, this is the epitome of lazy story pitching. Like, I haven't thought this out because I know, <laughs> I know that, but, but when you know it's perfect, you know it's perfect, right? Like, why, why do I need to go to do the extra brain power to say that, like, there's not a single person listening to this that loves the type of humor that they produce that wouldn't sign up to go and see this movie 20 times in theaters, right? Like when I say Matt Stone, Trey Parker, give them a comic book property to do their thing. Like who says no? Like that's the, the thing. The thing is practically a billion dollar maker already. And we don't even have a script yet. It's just the way it goes. So, and we definitely could take whatever budget money they were going to give to whatever next Michael Bay project there is and just funnel it to Matt Stone and Trey Parker for some sort of IP property. And it would already make the world a better place there. I said it. Yeah, one of them would hang that rubber stamp on their wall as a trophy if they could get a hold of that money. <laughs> so anyway, um, I, I'm excited about that one. I don't think there's any chance that my two ideas are ever going to come to fruition. <laughs> if they did, good Lord, would I be a happy person. That'd be awesome. I'd, you know, I'd go see any of this that we've talked about tonight. So I feel like we've, we've crafted four really good projects that deserve to be greenlit as soon as COVID-19 takes a chill pill. Yeah, this is how you welcome people back into theaters. You won't need Universal because you'll have Matt Stone and Trey Parker doing the worst X-Man ever. And a month later, you can have Doug Jones finally giving you a good Swamp Thing. I don't know what else people would want. This is the America right? people want. This is it. Welcome back to the theaters. Everybody sit six feet apart and enjoy the show. Mm, there it is. We just saved the world, Jake. <laughs> Once again. Oh, man. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Watching Comics Podcast. As always, it is a wild, wild ride, and we love having you along with us. Uh, of course, now you need to hit us up on Twitter. We are at watch comics pod. That's comics with an X watch comics pod. And we want to know what you think about these four projects. We want to know what you think about Noah Holly for X-Men. We want to know what you think about Lynn Ramsey doing nail biter. Definitely about Doug Jones doing Alan Moore swamp thing. And then of course the piece de resistance, Matt Stone and Trey Parker bringing something to the comic book arena. Hit us up. We need your creativity. We want your takes. That's what Twitter is for. As always, shout out to the Geek Dad Podcast Network. We love being a part of that place. Great folks over there at Geek Dad. Um, be sure to rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on because it's a nice thing to do. And if you do that, we'll give you a lifetime supply of high fives for free because we're that nice. So thanks for joining us on the Watching Comics Podcast. We will be coming at you next week with some more awesome stuff we'll talk to you then this podcast has been a production of the geek dad podcast network if you've enjoyed this content please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geek dad